0: Welcome back to The Accidental Activist, presented by Mercedes-Benz. Before each episode this season, as a part of the I Am Mercedes campaign, we'll be profiling different young women named Mercedes who are all chasing big dreams.
1: I am Mercedes, and I'm 17 years old, living in Ogden, Utah. I've done projects regarding at-home opioid deactivation as well as cancer treatments using alternative methods. And the central focus of all of my STEM outreach has been on accessibility and practicality of the solutions. Recently I've done a project focusing on this plant called Centella Asiatica, which is a plant that's native to the wetland regions of Central Asia. I've created a cost-effective extract out of that plant that can be used to treat breast cancer. I've learned that public policy actually has a major effect in how uh, research is implemented into society. Because of that, I've kind of changed my career path to first focus on attaining a PhD and conducting research and then going into law and public policy so that I can focus on implementing it. It was really cool to know that there were nine other Mercedes chosen for this campaign and um, to be amongst them and recognized for my STEM pursuits was really incredible. What a great
0: story from an amazing young woman. And now, on to this week's episode.
2: People have thought I'm an idiot my whole life. I felt like I've been talking to friends and people I know for six years about how Roe will be overturned. This is the agenda. It's going to happen. You felt that all that time ago. Well, yes. Once Trump got elected, for sure. It's a humanitarian emergency.
0: But what do you think is the motivation for this gutting of our rights and our autonomy?
2: White supremacy and patriarchy?
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Aisha Sassé, and welcome back to The Accidental Activist, the show where we discover how an accidental turn of events can spark one's passion to change the world. Today, I'm speaking to actor Busy Phillips. Busy first graced our screens over 20 years ago, starring in teen dramas like Freaks and Geeks and Dawson's Creek. Since then, she's been in movies and TV shows like White Chicks, Cougar Town and Vice Principals, and even had a stint at hosting her own self-titled late-night talk show, Busy Tonight. These days, she's starring in the Peacock original comedy series, Girls 5 Ever. But acting is far from Busy's only job. Go ahead and add podcaster to her very full life, because she's the host of Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. Did I mention that in addition to that, she works with the non-profit organization Vote Mama? And wait, yeah, there's more. Busy's also mother of two and, amid it all, an unrepentant activist. So as you can see, Busy is, well, super busy, but she shows no signs of slowing down. To be honest, it would be hard even if she wanted to, because Busy has chosen to be on the front lines of one of the most contentious and defining battles of our time. Bodily autonomy and the war on women's rights in the U.S., Amid the chorus of many pro-choice voices, Busy's is one of the loudest. And I wanted to have her on the show to talk about her outspokenness, the blowback she's faced, and how to keep fighting as the movement continues to encounter enormous legal setbacks. Busy brings to our conversation her trademark wisdom, wit, and fire. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did.
2: Busy Phillips, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that we were able to find a time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. It it takes a lot these days. But, you know, when I think about you and I think about the words that immediately come to mind, there are a couple bold, determined, defiant, you know, they they associated with you in in headlines and, and really, to me, are what I think about when I hear you and I see you. I'm wondering whether... Whether those same qualities were on display when you were when you were a child. The busy we know now, how different is she from the child that grew up in Arizona?
2: Oh yeah, no, I think I've always been this person. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely always been very outspoken, very sure of my convictions. And I mean, you know, a lot of people called me loud. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest. I mean, that's like, you know. Where does it come from, that sure-footedness? It's interesting because now I'm a mom and I have two kids. And so, you know, I would say that it's a combination of nurture and nature. Like, I think that sometimes people show up in the world and they just are, you know? Right. And I think that that is true in my case. And then I also think that I had... Parents that were very encouraging and took me seriously and listened and had my back and After I testified before Congress, my mom's like, Busy, I just don't know where you get i mean you're <laughs> just i don't know where you get it you're just so you're so strong, you have this strength and you you know the power of your convictions and so then <laughs> it's a kind of a long story. But basically, through my aunt, she filled me in on her and my mother's grandfather, my great grandfather, who was a socialist, activist, Episcopalian priest. Yes, at the turn of the century. There were these like socialist priests that really believed. And by the way, I mean, I'm not a religious person at this point in my life, but it is wild and very interesting to me how religion has been sort of co-opted mm-hmm. to push yes. very anti-christian agenda
0: right
2: but these socialist priests at the turn of the century were really fighting and saying like look if you believe in this book then we have to protect those among us who are the most vulnerable right. and yeah my great grandfather wrote like a book about it.
0: That's crazy. Because I was going to ask you, can you trace the roots of your activism to anything in your childhood? Or I probably really
2: now to your broader past or your right. you know, your genetic lineage. Well, right. I mean, and that is something that's so interesting. You know, you think about like Generational trauma, or sort of, you know, a lot of like inherited, and we know now scientifically like Mm -hmm. this stuff exists, Mm -hmm. right? It changes our DNA. It is carried in us in our mitochondria. It's in our bodies. It's woven into us. It really, it's a part of us. Yes. So, I guess it stands to reason, right? Like, why wouldn't those beliefs that I have held since I can remember this like feeling of like seeing this injustice all around me and knowing it's not okay and wanting to do something about it since I was a little person, maybe that's just, that piece got put in me, in my DNA. I don't, from my great-grandfather and who knows where he got it from.
0: I think that's really powerful. It's a really powerful, powerful thought. Do you remember the first time you spoke up as a child before you became the Busy Phillips we know today publicly?
2: So I was in high school in like the mid-ish 90s. I graduated in 97. I was probably a freshman in high school and there was an assembly about hate speech. And I got up because I felt like everybody was being really disingenuous in this assembly. You know, I had a very good friend who was gay and open to close friends, but in Arizona in like 93. It wasn't going to be an easy path. But you know, the F slur. That was like very a part of how boys communicated to each other in my high school. And I hated it so much. And, you know, and they're doing it around kids like my friends who they didn't know were gay. Anyway, I got up to say something. Did you know what you were
0: going to say? No.
2: (laughs) No. And then I swore at (gasps) the end. What did you say? Just, guys, just, you got to think before you say shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then like sort of the whole (laughs) auditorium. (gasps) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then I was like, oh, oops, sorry. (laughs) You know, thereby proving my point, I guess. But I, you know, I just was so... Fired up about it. And, you know, there are so many things that I don't even remember. But at my high school reunion many years ago now, my God, a kid came up to me and was like, Do you remember getting into a fight with me senior year in government about, I think it was again, I think it was about marriage equality, like gay marriage specifically. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember getting <laughs> you, into that. Fight. You, <laughs> you. Like, you were just being you. You were just using your your yeah. voice and your convictions. Yeah, and I kind of was just always that kid. Like I would do it in class constantly. That assembly was the first time I remember like standing up in front of you know authority, the heads of our school and the teachers and all that, and the student body. It was, it was more you know more eyeballs on me, but. I was sort of always doing it.
0: You took that same sense of self and assuredness and carried that along with this, this desire to act. And you brought that to L.A. and you got into the business when you were 19. I mean, when you think about that now as a, as a 19-year-old taking on this business, when you reflect on it, what stands out for you?
2: I mean, I really just had this unbelievable conviction and drive and, like, belief in myself. And I am sort of—it is funny when I look back on it. I'm like, what a little ball of I mean, it's crazy. fire.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really connected with that because I left home at 16 because I wanted to be an actress. I left Sierra Leone, West Africa, and moved back to London. So when I read that you had, like, this conviction, you were like,
2: this is what yeah. I'm going to do— I was like, wow, to be so sure. I was so sure. But you were too, right? Yeah. And you knew it wasn't gonna happen there. No. You had to like make moves. No,
0: absolutely. But then you get into an industry, you know, I think one thing when I got um I got to London, I got an agent and you know, they did the the thing, you can't wear glasses, you need to get contact lenses, you need to look a certain way. The realities of you know being a black girl in, in London, because I was 16 at the time, not getting many auditions. You know, those realities all started to, to kick in. For you, you've been very honest. You've written about it. You've talked about the, the harshness of the business. Yeah. You've spoken the quiet parts out loud. Right. Has that been easy for you?
2: I mean, I didn't do it until I didn't care anymore. Mm you know, to be totally honest with myself, I'm like, I'm hard on people. I'm hard on others. I am hardest on myself always. And so that piece of it, the speaking truth to the business part of it, I didn't really fully do publicly until I really didn't care anymore about getting acting jobs because my career had kind of taken a different path. And I was a mom and knew that as I was getting older, like, it is what it is, you know. And furthermore, I had the realization that I can create whatever it is that I want to do. And so I didn't mind telling the stories. Also, I do think I have seen some Real changes in the industry. Do you still enjoy acting? I love it now. Yeah, I've gone all all the way around. <laughs> so wait. <laughs> so I took a break from it yeah. for a while after Cougar Town, and then I did a uh, Danny McBride's show, Vice Principals, because uh-huh. I really love Danny, yeah, he's and brilliant. I love what he does with his voice and how he sort of shines a light on so many parts of our especially country that are just ridiculous. I was just sort of disheartened and I and I needed to take a break. You know, I was doing like Instagram stories and and they were super successful. And then I got my book deal and, you know, I was just doing a bunch of other stuff. And the parts that I was reading, I'm like, I'm not interested in doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. play this trope. Again, it's not benefiting anyone. So I sort of like took a step back and kind of declared that I was retiring <laughs> from acting. Then you did a Brady. As you did. Then you did his own Brady.
1: So I said, OK, Tom Brady's is going to retire and that's going to be the end of it. Because if I look back at his Skip, what are the mechanisms that forced him to retire?
2: And how did they get removed in 40 days to make him unretire? I really came back from retirement. Well, listen, it was 2020. All bets were off. Tina Fey called me and literally offered me my dream job. What are you going to do?
0: Yeah. And I actually just wanted to to clarify the acting and where you stand with that, because now when we think about you, it's very much centered around not just, you know, creative pursuits, which may not necessarily be on screen, the writing and, and the producing, but also the activism and speaking on issues of, you know bodily autonomy and abortion and many other things, actually. But how did that become a cornerstone of who you are publicly, these issues?
2: Well, there was a need for it, for sure.
0: But there's a need and many celebrities see the need, but they don't step up. But you did.
2: Well, I think many celebrities are stupid. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just the basic. Like, that's the bottom line, right? Okay. I'm going to chat.
0: Are they stupid? Are they scared?
2: I think there's both. And there's always a combination, you know. But I think a lot of times people aren't able to critically think. I mean, I think that's part of why our country is where it's at, is the lack of
0: critical, critical thinking. Yeah.
2: I mean, and so I think that a lot of people, celebrities who haven't had any sort of higher education, haven't been exposed to different ideas, haven't questioned things, don't feel like they can even speak about anything because what do they know? And they know it. They're afraid that someone will call them out. And by the way, I'll just say this. I know so much more today (laughs) than I did certainly like five years ago when I started really doing activism work. And I remember feeling sometimes, and occasionally sometimes when I'm posting things, I'm a little bit like, huh, okay, I need to look into this. No one wants to be singing Imagine in that video and be made to look like an idiot. You know, but here's the thing. I don't give a fuck. People have thought I'm an idiot my whole life. It just comes with the blonde hair. (laughs) I have been like exceeding people's expectations in my intelligence (laughs) and my talent since the day I was born. So I'm fine if people think that I don't have a thought in my head and then I'm able to actually back it up. And I'm also able to ask questions because there are a lot of things I don't know. Do you think you're able to take this position, A, because of the somewhat un- and clearly erroneous
0: lower expectations people have assigned to you, but also because, you know, referencing your bigger point about celebrities and them being stupid or scared, because you have got this slightly disassociated position with the acting? You love it, but like you said, you don't really give a fuck. Like you enjoy it, but is it because you have that perspective? Is that what also gives you the confidence to speak up?
2: Yes, I think perspective is huge. I think a lot of people lack perspective too and self-awareness. And so frequently it happens to be that people only feel comfortable speaking out about something that has impacted them or someone they love. And I've never felt like I need to be an expert because I'm not saying I'm an expert, ever. I'm just saying this is a thing I've become aware of. More people could stand to become aware of this thing that's happening right now. And maybe we need to pay attention.
0: Like you said, you're not claiming to be an expert. You're saying that these are issues that we could stand to know about and discuss and care about. You have spoken publicly about having an abortion at 15. You've testified before Congress about that.
2: I am a human being that deserves autonomy in this country, that calls itself free, and choices that a human being makes about their own bodies should not be legislated by strangers who can't possibly know or understand each individual circumstances or beliefs.
0: Was there much internal debate, or better yet, how much internal debate did you have before you went public with your own story?
2: You know, once I had my book deal, I knew that the story of my abortion was always going to be something that I wanted to write about because I wanted to write about it in my own voice, in my own way, on my own terms, and be able to tell the entirety of the story and what was a complex situation for me because of my age, because of my Catholic upbringing, because of the community I was surrounded by at the time. and. You know, it was nuanced, and I wanted to be able to put that whole thing forward, you know. But I was always afraid of retaliation from anti abortion people because they've just historically been so horrible and violent. And I wasn't excited about that part of it. And I remember feeling a little bit like, when my book came out and all the press was about James Franco and my experience yes. on Freaks and Geeks, there was a part of me that was like, oh, thank God, the anti-abortion mm-hmm. people like aren't going to mm-hmm. come for me. Did that hold? Well, yeah. Based on my book. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that but was since never. since then. Mm-hmm. Well, and then. So my book came <laughs> out in the fall of 2018, the same time that my late night talk show premiered on E! And around the same time that a couple of these states started passing what they were erroneously calling heartbeat bills were actually extreme abortion bans. Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, is expected to sign one of the most restrictive and controversial anti-abortion laws in the country. The bill makes abortions illegal once the heartbeat is detected in the embryo. And that can happen as early as five or six weeks after conception. And look, abortion had had some bad press. Planned Parenthood had struggled, you know, like in the last 25 years. Planned Parenthood is like one of my favorite places on earth. They do such amazing work. But, you know, there have been so many targeted campaigns to vilify providers that it felt complicated and messy to step into that always. But these extreme abortion bans started being passed. And I remember saying to Casey St. Ange, who's my showrunner at the time, and now we do the podcast together. My whole point, the only reason why I wanted to make this a late night talk show and not a daytime talk show was because women so rarely get the opportunity to do late night talk shows. That's right. And I just felt like if I can carve out one more space for it, then that is at least something. And part of the reason why I wanted to do that is because when things like this happen, late night shows get their hot takes on it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But none of these dudes are going to say anything about these extreme abortion bans. And they didn't. But we could. I could. And really, I could. Because I had had an abortion. Because, you know, for a while, I think a lot of even women or trans people who... Have uteruses who hadn't had an abortion felt weird about being in support of abortion. They're like, well, I can't really speak. I've never had that. So I don't know. I can't. Like, I've heard that from people. <laughs> like, yeah. I, okay. no, I've heard that too. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: What we're really saying it's the right to decide, right? Regardless of whether you've had one or not.
2: Right. But this is what the whole world is dealing with right now, yeah, right? This is sovereignty.
0: You know, it it is sovereignty. It is is self-determination, right? Time for a quick break. We'll have more of my conversation with Busy Phillips after the break. Welcome back. Here's the second half of my conversation with actor and activist Busy Phillips. How are you feeling in this moment, 100 days gone more than 100 days have passed since the Supreme Court struck down. I can't even believe I'm saying the words. Even now, 100 days plus, overturned Roe versus Wade and struck down the constitutional right to abortion. And more than a dozen states have made abortion largely unavailable.
2: Well, it's an it's a humanitarian emergency. We have now, you know, first of all, confirmation that those that were in power before this administration were sort of instituting Mm -hmm. a Christian right government. And some would say judiciary. And judiciary. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it, it is devastating. And all of the stories that have been and continue to come out about what is happening to children and women and people who need care in these states what they're going through is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Another point that I do think really deserves to be brought up in this conversation is that I was incredibly moved by Chrissy Teigen's speech a few weeks back
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and her admission that she didn't understand that what happened when she was 20 weeks pregnant and their baby died that that was actually considered abortion care. And so I've been looking into it because I did some Instagram stories just in support of her. I had seen so many mean, horrible, disgusting. Were, were you shocked
0: by that? Shocked. I was taken aback. Shocked by I mean, I know social media can be such a beautiful place, but it can be such a cesspool as well. And I was stunned at the cruelty.
2: I'm sort of like, I guess, and here's my question to you, like, should we be shocked by cruelty toward women at this point? No, 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 no. But we, we still we, are we, every time. We, we
0: still we still are, but I think maybe it was the fact that here was a woman who expressed such deep vulnerability, yes. and such deep pain. And I, I'm used to women minding their own business and being the target of cruelty. Right. But this felt so personal and and it's always personal but this felt there's a particular intensity to it that I that took my breath away
2: yeah well I think there are a lot of people in this country that don't understand that they've had abortions and that they've benefited from abortion care so you know we say that statistic one in four women before age 40 will access abortion care that actually and I Gutmacher and Planned Parenthood is like working on it for me because Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't believe that's the real statistic. You think it's actually more women? Way more. Because what ended up happening is that doctors and healthcare providers changed the coding. That's how they get statistics. But they changed the coding in miscarriage care because the stigma attached with the word abortion was so about an unwanted, undesired pregnancy and By the way, you know, the anti abortion side did such a bang up job of marketing it as murder that healthcare providers didn't want to further traumatize women and families who were going through the worst moment of their life with a very wanted pregnancy. And so they started coding it differently to be a DNC or a DE or just miscarriage care. And in fact, I've now talked to my friend, Amelia, who runs the incredible organization, Shout Your Abortion, and she's talked to a few providers and nurses who've said, oh, I've had doctors tell me not to record it as really abortion care. Yes, because the stigma became so great with that word yeah, that they didn't want these women to be re-traumatized. So they would call it something else. They would say like, OK, well, we're going to go and we're going to help you know, take the rest out and, you know, or whatever. They just didn't, it wasn't clear as to what it was. And when I posted that, this all happened because after I like posted some stories in support of Chrissy, who I don't really know. I mean, I've like DM'd with her on Instagram a couple of times, but I just, my heart was like breaking for her. I can't, it's so horrible. I had hundreds of DMs from women saying, Wow. But that's not what they're taking away in these states, right? I had, I had a miscarriage. I had a DNC after a miscarriage. People can still get those. Oh no. Oh no, they cannot. Oh no, this is exactly what it is. I had people sending me DMs. Wait, so I had a miscarriage at 16 weeks and my doctor said I needed a D and E and I had one. Is that an abortion? Yes. That's an abortion. So there are two things you're bringing up here. One, a
0: need to fully understand the scope of what abortion services are, right? Which clearly, to your point, has become quite reductive in the conversation because it's been, you know, rebranded by the anti-abortion side, and also the broader just lack of awareness on the part of the general public of what is really at stake here. But what do you think is the motivation for this gutting of our rights and our autonomy?
2: White supremacy and patriarchy? No.
0: I just wanted to hear you say it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A racist (laughs) patriarchal agenda? Just wanted you to say it. To keep white men in charge of other people?
0: What have the decisions that I may choose to make with my own medical provider got to do with somebody sitting? Oh, it has everything
2: to do. Because if women are able to control their own futures and decide when they want to be parents, then they're able to access higher education, be exposed to critical thinking skills, have careers, join the workforce, have financial independence, not be forced into staying with an abuser or a person who they feel forced to stay with for the sake of the children. They can be more participatory in society. And then one would stand to reason they would gain more power. And once that happens, well, these motherfuckers are threatened, aren't they? Because they're just little babies.
0: So that leads me to midterms. Yes. Where my my head may explode. What is your thinking? You're part of the Vote Mama lobby. You lead the Creative Council. Talk to me and explain to our listeners what Vote Mama is about, the mission. And talk to me about how you're feeling ahead of these midterms
2: and and what's at stake here. I'm trying so hard to not be paralyzed with fear by these midterms coming up. Um. I actually just did a like a Q&A panel thing for vote mama with two incredible women moms running for re-election of Secretary of State in New Mexico and Michigan, two places that had contested elections from these, you know, very, uh-huh. you know, interesting people who don't believe in things like the truth and science, and have really been led astray by a false prophet. Let's call them deniers. 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 They're deniers. Yeah, you're right. They're deniers. And I was actually given hope by my conversation with these women because they are so focused on making sure that our democracy stays intact. And truly, that is the bottom line of these midterms. What is at stake is democracy itself. And, you know, Michigan is seeing a record number of voter registration, a record number of people requesting absentee ballots, surpassing regular general elections. So for a midterm, it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, to me... The moment like Kansas and what happened with Kansas when they put the abortion ban to a vote and people showed up, you know, and I think that if there is any silver lining to Trump, Dobbs, the insurrection, just the horrors that we have, like, seen, really, a lot of people have seen for the first time. I mean, which also is so annoying that so many white people have to, like, see it with their own eyes before they believe it. but Or to feel the threat aimed at them to believe the threat is real, right? Right. I felt like I've been talking to friends and people I know for six years about how Roe will be overturned. This is the agenda. It's going to happen. You felt that all that time ago. Well, yes. Once Trump got elected, for sure. That was it. You know, I was one of these people who
0: thought that just precedent. I I don't know. I really believed in, in the law, in the precedent that was set to think that I would witness people saying, you know, Alito saying there's no right to privacy, that precedent was erroneous. Like, I am going to be very transparent. It makes me make me sound like an idiot. I did not think we could get here.
2: It doesn't make you sound like an idiot. It was their plan. It's the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing you that he didn't exist. They told us that it was safe. But then, two things I felt. Number one, a man was put in office who declared that the truth wasn't true. That's number one. So once the sky is green, all bets are off. And number two, I have always been aware of how sort of women aren't considered in our Society and our culture. Mm -hmm. But with that election and everything leading up to it, after he took (laughs) power, like on election night, I remember sobbing uncontrollably and saying, They hate women. They hate us. They don't want us anywhere near anything they hate us and then last presidential cycle when you see all of these incredibly and so many so many people people I was friends with liberal people you know what I just I honestly I don't even know if I can get it up to go to the voting (laughs) booth for for Clinton I just like I can't support the oligarchy of the Clintons or whatever the fuck they were saying and you know I have like some younger, very liberal friends who were like, I'm sitting this one out. And I was like, you better not sit this out, guys. Like this guy could, you know, could torpedo democracy. And then, you know, I'll vote for, I would vote for Elizabeth Warren. And then guess what? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't vote for Klobuchar. No, they didn't vote for Kamala. No, they did not. Because people fucking hate women. (laughs) They do.
0: But that brings me to another point then, seeing that passivity in the face of a threat, how do we break through on these issues? How do we break through on issues of abortion and bodily autonomy and and people understanding the threat? Because you just laid it out, having Trump on the ballot and and knowing what that threat was and still having friends say,
2: uh... Dudes. They were dudes. They were guys
0: guys I just, I, and there were plenty of other women who were like eh.
2: oh and white women we know we know we yeah, know the way women we know women. the data
0: we know the data so how do as an activist mm-hmm. in the face of apathy
2: how do you break through to activate people I mean I think storytelling is huge I hate that word it's so cheesy <laughs> why do you hate that word
0: <laughs> we're all storytellers busy
2: I mean, we are, but it's so, I don't know. It Being feels facetious. like, it just feels like I should be like in a coffee shop somewhere, like doing Drumming like your an, guitar. Yeah. Doing my open <laughs> mic, just talking about how I tell stories. But I think it, I think that the stories we tell are important. And I think that women especially have allowed, we have allowed ourselves, I allowed myself to be shamed into silence for many years Not just about my abortion, about sexual assault, about disgusting misogynistic behavior, about abuse, you know, all of those things that I think we were sort of led to believe was ours to hold.
0: And we're holding it, I think, because we don't want to make men feel uncomfortable. That's right. Like what 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 kind of bullshit
2: is that? Insane. Well, it's the bullshit. It's the it's the ingrained patriarchal stuff. And I think the same is true for how ingrained misogyny and and white supremacy is in all of our lives. And like breaking yourself of that belief of that, like, you might not even be aware that you have. Yeah. So we have to keep yeah. just, we have to keep talking about it. You know, we have to keep making it a point to have these conversations, even when it's uncomfortable, even when the, like, moms at my kid's new school are like, okay, I see. You know, we don't need to talk about our periods that much. I'm like, no, we actually do. I need to talk about my period right now. Like, I... You know, (laughs) I don't see any other way to change it. And I think it can really be. I do think that through these stories that we're hearing and seeing. I think even men are having a greater understanding of what this is and what bodily autonomy actually means and the very dire consequences of what these laws being put in place.
0: So what does success look like to you in this fight when we're talking about issues of bodily autonomy and abortion as you look to the future? What what goals have you set for yourself in terms of using your
2: voice? I want to continue making sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that just because a thing happens to us, it is not just ours to hold. and You know, I hope that people continue to pay attention and show up. And I hope that people with like real morals and real belief systems intact can take a look at how and if the way that they have voted and the way that they vote aligns with that.
0: And your message to other celebrities who have platforms at a time like this?
2: I mean no one's ever been mad at anyone for asking a question. There are plenty of people from all kinds of organizations that wanna give you answers, always. And there are great, you know, America Ferrera started an organization called Harness that sort of helps to educate artists. And, you know, I, at this point, am involved with so many different organizations. Carrie uh, Washington has a great organization as well. Basically, being passive is just
0: not acceptable is is really ultimately the message for whether you're a celebrity or not. I mean, I think that's essentially why I'm doing this show, to help people understand that. I think that
2: democracy is a participation sport. And I actually have always thought that. And maybe that's a thing that's just been inside of me. But also, I remember my mom volunteering to be a poll worker when I was really little before she had gone back to work full time. I remember... My mom has never thrown away her jury duty summons, you know, has always showed up for jury duty because my mom was like, well, the system only works if we all show up. And that is the truth. The system only works if we all show up and we have to all show up. And because they're trying to like. Silence and thwart the voices of people who don't agree with. You know, upholding their agendas, right? Through voter suppression and all kinds of other gerrymandering. So we all have to, like, really show up.
0: Mr. Phillips, I think that's a great place to leave it. We've got to show up. <laughs> We've got to show up. we got
2: to show up.
0: Well, we do, but it's not going to be good if we don't. The, the consequences are huge if we don't.
2: They already are happening.
0: They are in real time. In real time. In real time. Busy Phillips, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You too. You're so great. Mm -hmm. I just adore you. In talking with Busy, it drove home the danger of being blinded by Hope. Unlike her, I allowed Hope to convince me that a woman's right to bodily autonomy would remain protected, even though I could see the flashing warning signs. Busy, on the other hand, remained clear-eyed and saw the path to rolling back Roe v.ersus Wade after the 2016 election. As she said, the devil's greatest trick was convincing the world he didn't exist. What I hope you'll take away from our conversation is a greater sense of the urgent need for us all to stay informed. Hope is wonderful, and please don't ever lose that. But let's add a hefty dose of awareness. Now is not the time to turn away and live in an information vacuum. We've all got to stay plugged in, do it through a podcast, read or watch the news, use social media. We've got to know and understand what we're up against if we're to have any chance of making a difference. What I hope you'll take away from our conversation is a greater sense of the urgent need for us all to stay informed. Hope is wonderful and please please don't ever lose that but let's add a hefty dose of awareness now is not the time to turn away and live in an information vacuum we've all got to stay plugged in do it through a podcast read or watch the news use social media we've got to know and understand what we're up against if we're to have any chance of making a difference Hearing Busy's fearlessness and unflagging commitment to this fight is necessary. Because let's face it, the striking down of Roe vs Wade left many of us shell-shocked and a little despondent. But we can't win this fight or any other from our own corners. So get up and let's get busy. With eyes wide open, hope firmly in place and a commitment to doing the work, ultimately we'll end up on the winning side. Thank you so much to all of our listeners and thank you to our season sponsor, Mercedes-Benz. As always, check the show notes for resources and learning materials from our guests. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Follow me at Aisha on Twitter and on Instagram at IamAisha the Accidental Activist is a Wonder Media Network production. Executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and me, Aisha Sassay. Our producers are Brittany Martinez, Taylor Williamson and Chelsea Daniel. Our editor is Liz Smith and our production assistant is Abby Delk. Guest booking by Mary Hollis Williams of Good Talent Lodge. Special thanks to Arella Productions. Take care, everyone. Until the next time. Bye for now.